The following sermon, Waiting for Joy, comes from the third week in our Advent series titled, The Waiting, in which we will be looking at how people throughout the Old Testament anticipated the coming Messiah. As we look at what God was doing in the midst of people who were waiting, we will see how we are to wait for the second coming, or the final Advent. For more sermons from Missio Dei Church, please visit www.mdchurch.us. Due to technical difficulties from Sunday morning, we were unable to record the beginning portion of the sermon preached by Pastor Paul Vroom. Hear the words from the prophet Zephaniah 3, 14-20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all of your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all of your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time I will gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your enemies, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. But there was a problem. It, it, this had happened 80 years after the northern kingdom of Israel had been swept away by Assyrian invaders. And during those 80 years, the southern kingdom of Judah had not learned their lesson from watching what was going on with their northern neighbors. And they sank deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin and rebellion and against the law of God. And in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, the prophet Hilkiah, the high priest, found tucked away a copy of the law. They found a copy of the law which had just been ignored for decades and decades and decades. And when he read it to the king, Josiah was absolutely broken. He humbled himself before God, tore his clothes, and just wept. And over the next 13 years, Josiah led an amazing reformation in Judah based on the law of God. He renewed His covenant between God and His people. He took the vessels of the, the foreign gods out of the temple and burned them. He, he disposed of the idolatrous priests who were, who were there. He broke down the, the, house of the houses of the male cult prostitutes. He removed the horses of the king of Judah that were dedicated to the sun god. And He reinstituted, reinstituted the Passover, which had been ignored since the days of the judges. These were the days of Zephaniah. And so the children of Israel, when they are hearing this news that 
God is going to be coming and He is going to be in their midst. This is a moment of great joy. They were excited. But here's the reality. Whenever believers become aware of God's offer, God's offer of forgiveness, there is a sense, a great sense of unworthiness. You can even see that with the prophet Isaiah. When he was, he was not filled with excitement when all of a sudden he was given a vision of the Lord. And a lot of times, I, I've been a part of churches where we sing songs about, I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted. And we just sing this song. But Isaiah, what was his response? He wasn't in this this amazing concert of singing and dancing and jumping up and down. When he came before the presence of the Lord, he immediately cried this. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I am so undeserving. In the same way, these Judeans, when they heard this message, they would have been ashamed of their own sinfulness. But that did not alter the fact that they were going to be forgiven their sins. Throughout the history of God's people, the reality is when we see that the joy of God's salvation given to people, it was not expressed in just frivolous exhilaration. But what we see is the experience of forgiven sin is a deep down joy. A deep down joy which often expresses itself in quiet, rapturous delight. When God's people are faced with the joy of receiving salvation, the first moment of joy is just deep down, rapturous delight in God. Zephaniah may have been referring to that day. Seventy years or so in the future when the Jewish people were finally set free from the Babylonian captivity. But I I, I think that he was looking forward to something even greater. You see, with the idea of prophecy in Scripture, I want you to think of two mountains. One about this high, one about this high. And when they're looking into the future, they see the peak, the first peak that is right before them. But there's also another peak that is just beyond, farther down. And I believe Zephaniah is anticipating one, the day where they are going to be freed from captivity. But there is that joy that is coming another day when it is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. When it's filled and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Because we even see it with the prophet Zechariah. He reinforces this view because Matthew, St. Matthew, makes it clear that Zechariah was referring to the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt, a donkey, going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's pointing to something that has been fulfilled, but is even going to be fulfilled in a greater way in the coming days. Joy. 
anticipation of God's fulfilling all of His promises. And we see in this section here, let me just read it again. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. When's the last time you shouted in church except at your kids? But Zephaniah is saying, listen, there is something great that is coming. You are receiving forgiveness. So, shout for joy. Rejoice and exult with all of your heart. With all of your heart. Now today, I believe it's at noon, there's something big going on. Does anybody know what it is? Oh, football. That's why I need to be out and done by noon, right? If not before. Some of you are going... Seriously, it takes that long? But the reality is, is that if you go to that game and you sit in that stadium at Soldier's Field, there is going to be electricity going on, right? Especially when the Bears win this game. Lord willing. (laughs) Sorry, Packer fan. But there is a certain electricity that is going on when your team scores. An amazing thing happens. There's great joy. And there is celebration, right? The anticipation. There's this deep down, I can't wait for it to happen. But for some reason, in our circles, when we come together and experience God singing over us, Him freeing us from our sins, we sit pretty conservatively and quiet, showing very little to no expression. And we tend to be look like joyless people. But the prophet Zephaniah says, listen, something great coming. Sing aloud, men. Sing aloud. I don't care how bad you sound. Sing aloud. Shout, O Israel! Rejoice and exult with all of your heart as if you are at an amazing sporting event or an amazing concert or at the birth of your child. Rejoice! But why? There's three reasons for this kind of rejoicing. And the first one is this. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. These people knew the reason that they were under God's judgment. They, they, were, they were guilty. They were guilty of God's judgment. They were worthy of everything that He was doling out on them because they had broken God's covenant. All throughout Scripture, Israel, Judah, is described as the bride. And they have broken their covenant. They have stepped away from their their God. So God's judgment and His condemnation was on them. It is much like you standing, you you have committed some heinous crime, some terrible crime. Maybe it is much like in Newtown, Connecticut, and you are standing before the judge and He is handing out your sentence. And He says, it is the sentence of this court that you should be taken from this place and go back to the prison from where you came from And from there, to a place of execution where you shall be hanged by the neck until you are dead. May God have mercy on your soul. 
But God says, God says, the Lord has taken away the judgments. You were a prisoner held in bondage. What would be your response? Well, thank you. Thank you. I'll just walk on home now. There's almost a sense of relief, this deep down joy. This Did He just say that my judgments have been removed from me? Is that what I just... Is that what I heard? And that is the Christian response to God saying, there is no more any condemnation on you. For those who are in Christ, all the condemnation has been removed. Removed. As far as the east is from the west, and that's pretty far. So far has He removed your transgressions from you. You have had your judgments removed from you. And that is a reason for rejoicing. But the second reason, the second cause for rejoicing is that Zephaniah says this, that he has cleared away your enemy. So no longer is it just the issue of your sins have been removed from you, but the enemy has been defeated. And the enemy will be removed. And this is amazing news. Now, historically, the armies of Assyria had come very near to Jerusalem. But God had turned them back. Later, the Babylonians came in 586 B.C. and they took away the best of the best Judeans. So they understood this, that the enemies have been routed, they've been defeated, they've been removed, they've been taken out of the land. But for us, this is amazing news. For those of you who are in Christ and you know what God has done, this is amazing news because you can say, I know. I am no longer held captive by these enemies. Oh, I still struggle. I still work through these things. But I'll tell you, there is a power that is within me that has conquered the grave and I have hope and therefore I have joy. I have hope and I have joy. God will grant that our enemies that rise up before us will be defeated. And the third cause for rejoicing is this. And this is the sustaining peace for these people. It's like uh, growing up in a church where we had an organ. You know what those are? Younger, the organ, you know? Usually it was a gray-haired lady that was pounding you know, out with multi-layer things. But the, I remember Mrs. Nickel. She had her foot on a bar down below that nobody could see. And often it was the staining base that went through the whole thing. This is the sustaining piece. The part of the melody that is rich and beautiful for God's people is this. He says this, The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst and you shall never have to fear evil again. God is in your midst. And these words must have thrilled the people of Israel because they heard what the prophet had to say. And the wonderful thing is that they were not just going to be visited by a dignitary. It was not just the King of Judah 
coming to visit them for a day, pitching his tent in their midst and throwing a celebration and then moving on to the next place. No, the king was coming and the king was coming to stay. And where the king is, there is safety, there is security. And this is pointing on to something amazing. You see, the king, Jesus, is coming. For us, He has come. Because He has a special place in His heart for His people. You know, we very quickly, glibly kind of quote this John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That, that Son came to dwell amongst us. He put on flesh and He's dwelling amongst us. God has a special love for His people. And He's dwelling amongst us. And because of that, we have no need, no need for fear again. This King, Jesus Christ, came to the earth in the days of the Romans and He offered up His life willingly and freely on a cross as a ransom to pay for the sin of His wayward people like me. Jesus came. This King was promised to come And He came and He gave Himself up freely. So why? All the judgments from God are removed. Two, that we are no longer under the enemy's enemy's threat. And three, so that He could be amongst us. Jesus Christ came to give us For that reason, brothers and sisters, we have joy. We have joy. When things in Connecticut happen, we have no idea how this all works together. And we should be like Job who sits quietly, silently, He has no place to give an answer, but all his friends come and try to give the wisdom of why this is happening. He sit quietly and say, come Lord Jesus. Come. Makes no sense. This is painful. This is ugly. Come Lord Jesus. Make sense of this broken world. Restore this world to its original beauty and splendor so that you receive all the glory God, restore us. Give us hearts that offer forgiveness even to those who do not deserve us. As You have forgiven us, Lord, in some way, mysterious way, teach us how to forgive others. And God, give us a joy in the midst of all this pain. Give us hope. Cause us, even in these dark times, to rejoice. Now can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would actually be like to hear God singing? When I first heard this song, there was a song by Matt Redman that sings about God singing over us. I'm going, where in the world did He come up from that? I've never heard of God singing. But it's from Zephaniah 17. 
The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Remember that it was merely a spoken word that brought the universe into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and it happened. With just a a spoken word, what would happen if God lifted up His voice and not only spoke, but God sang? What would happen? Would anything different happen? Perhaps when God sings, a new heaven and a new earth would be created. God says something like, What the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 65, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. When God sings, God creates. He creates something. When God spoke at the beginning, the new heavens and the new earth were created. Perhaps in the end, a new heaven and a new earth where all things will be coming together in a marvelously beautiful, powerful kind of way. And I think of God singing. This is what I think of. Attention. I hear the booming of Niagara Falls. How many of you have ever, ever heard it? Niagara Falls. It is deafening. The booming of Niagara Falls, but it's mingled also at the same time in this tension with just the water going over, trickling over mossy rock. I also hear the, the blast of Mount St. Helens, which just devastated Washington but mingled with the cooing of a child. I hear the the power of the superstorm Sandy and the barely audible puff of snow falling through trees. When I hear the, the voice of God singing over creation, I hear the unimaginable roar of the sun 865,000 miles thick and at the same time 1,300,000 times bigger than the earth, it is nothing but pure fire, a million degrees centigrade, just on the coolest part of the sun. At the same time, I think about the simple crackling of a fire in my fireplace. When I hear the singing of God over His people, I'm dumbfounded. I'm silenced. I'm staggered. Speechless. That He is singing over me. My question for you this morning, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. Maybe you're at a place where you're just you're here this morning because somebody said, hey, my kid is doing a Christmas program and you got to see this. 
and you're just at the beginning of your, your journey, or maybe you're not even in a journey at all, you're just whatever. And maybe you've been in your journey with Christ for years, decades. Can you imagine that the God of this universe is singing over us? That God is rejoicing over you with loud songs? Maybe you, you, you're saying right now, you know what? I am way too guilty. I can't even imagine, I can't even begin to wonder about this God singing over me because if you knew the reality, I dress up really nice. I might even wear a suit coat this morning or a tie. A, I may have even shaved to come to church. But if you knew behind my facade the sin in my life, the junk in my life, what I am hiding behind my facade, surely God wouldn't sing over me. But can't you believe verse 15 where it says that God has taken away His judgments against you? Can't you believe that? Can you not feel the wonder of God exalting over you? Loud singing today. Maybe you say, you know what, Paul, there is no way that I can even begin to imagine this because I am surrounded by enemies. I'm being pressed in on every side. There are obstacles that are keeping me away. There is no way that I can even imagine God singing over me. It's impossible. But will you not this morning believe in verse 17 which says, the Lord is a mighty one who will save. In verse 19 that says, behold, at that time, I will deal with your oppressors. Or verse 15 that says, He has cleared away your enemy. Can you not then, can you not then feel the wonder of God singing over you, exalting over you with loud singing? Maybe you're saying this morning, Paul, still can't. Still can't get there. Because he's a great Holy God, I feel like He is far from me. In my circumstances right now, this God is just miles and miles and miles and miles away. There's silence in my life. But will you believe in verse 15 that says, the King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Verse 17 that says, the Lord is your God is in your midst. He is not far from you this morning. Maybe you're still saying, Paul, I am enslaved with shame. I've been endlessly belittled by my parents, by my coworkers by my classmates. I've been scoffed at. I've been threatened. I've been manipulated. I've been slandered. And inside my, my cocoon of shame, even the singing of God sounds faint, far away, and almost indiscernible. I have too much shame. But again I ask, will you not believe the promises at the end of verse 19 that says this, I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise 
and renown in all the earth. God will take you. Sing over you. Question this morning. Are you willing to commit your life fully to this God who sings over you? The One who spoke simple words and the world was created. The One who is now singing over you. Who has removed all your judgments. Removed them all. The One who not only has removed your judgment, but He has taken away, cleared the enemies, cleared your obstacles, and made a way straight. Jesus Christ. And He's the very One who is in our Take refuge in the very character of God. The very character and heart of God. Bank all your hope not in your day-to-day dealings, your, your job, your marriage, your kids, your, your retirement plan, whatever it is. Don't bank anything there, but bank all your hope on the righteousness of Christ. Bank all that you have, all your heart, your belief, your mind, everything you have. Bank it on the one true hope found in Jesus Christ. The one who removes all judgments. The one who lifts you up, takes you out of the grasp of your enemy, and dwelling amongst you. Let yourself, these last few days, let yourself awaken to the wonder. The wonder that the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, voices, sings loudly over you. Advent is a time to remember the simple truth that we find in the beginning of John 3.16 that God loved. This is why we celebrate our God loves. Our God forgives. God things over. Because of that, we can rejoice with God's people, and as this particular family, weekly we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we do it knowing very well that we are like Judah. That we are sinful. That daily we mess up. We daily we screw up. But we come with joy because we know fully that God has delivered us. He's taken away our judgment. He has conquered our enemies and He is dwelling among us which provides us hope. And we come to this supper, this meal that's prepared before us with great joy. It's not a funeral dirge that we come. We come to this meal celebrating with great joy. When the bread is offered to you, they say, the body of Christ broken for you. And you receive it and you say, Thanks be to God. And you come to the cup and they'll say the blood of Christ poured out for you. And you dip it in and you say, Amen. Because why? 
We are a people of joy because we've been saved by the blood of Christ. He offered Himself as a perfect sacrifice for imperfect people, sinful people, and He provided a way through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we come to this meal as believers. If you're in that place where you're going, you know what? I'm not sure yet. I, I haven't ever professed my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not a member, a regular attender even of a church. I want to encourage you. Be still. Meditate on what we have just been talking about. Do you believe that it is God who is singing over as His saved meal is open to all who have professed with their mouth and believe in their heart Christ Lord. That He was raised from the dead. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. He broke it saying, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And in the same way, He took the cup of blessing and poured it out saying, this is My blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance. Those who are serving, please come forward. We celebrate by means of intention, as I described. You'll come first to the bread. And they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. Take a piece. Go to the next station. Dip it in. The blood of Christ poured out for you. And come. Welcome. All things are ready.